May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our first reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. 
Our second reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word to God's people.
thought perhaps I would uh, start my sermon this morning with reminding us of a little of our our Methodist background. I think it it puts the topic of the sermon in in some good relief. So listen along with me for a second. You may recall that in the 1700s uh, in England, the Methodist movement started. It was a reformed movement of the Anglican Church, the Church of England. John Wesley and a few of his clergy buddies in Oxford thought that the, the church was too staid, too formalized, too, uh, too conscious of status, too institutionalized, and was overlooking the, the common folk, their physical, emotional, and, and spiritual needs. So Wesley left the cathedral for the cow fields and the mines, and he, he chose frontier over fortress, preaching a gospel of new life in Christ and urging people to an active lifestyle of holiness and piety. Now, as the colonists arrived on this shore, so did the, the Methodist movement, and lay people led neighborhood house church gatherings, embracing Wesley's purpose to reform the nation and spread scriptural holiness over the land. With the success of the American Revolution and the critique of things British, a new denomination was born in 1784 in Baltimore, and clergy were ordained to provide order and sacraments to this clergy or this lay-led revival movement. The Methodist movement for Christ thrived on the American frontier. In 1790, there were 58,000 adherents, and in 1830, there were 501,000 adherents. Those of you good at math are going to say, hey, that's a 900% increase in 40 years. It's remarkable. In the late 1800s, a Methodist church was said to be in every community in America of any size. People were out there with the gospel of Christ to one another, sharing the gospel, improving lives, building community, trying to create an ethically based social order. Yet, the more settled the communities became, the slower the rate of growth. From being out there on the cutting edge with the people to becoming more institutionalized and more structured and more building conscious. Paul Nixon writes, comparing then to now, what was, 170 years ago, one of the most nimble, innovative, and proactive Christian movements in history has become an ossified, 
aging organization largely incapable of any effective ministry. Yikes. And I want you to know I edited off another sentence. <laughs> Just because I didn't have the heart to say it. That's depressing. You know, but in some ways, there's some accuracy and truth to what Paul is noticing. From 1960 to 2000, another 40-year span of our history, the United Methodist Church lost 21% of its membership. Now, that wasn't a trend exclusive to us. Mainline churches were all doing this, but we were doing this. And churches became, as a result of this, more fortress-minded rather than frontier focused, circling the cultural wagons and caring for those inside rather than seizing the opportunities of getting out into that new frontier of those decades. So friends, we are in a, a quandary, but we're not here by accident. It's the product of widespread growth that is followed by institutionalization and the effect of that, and it is also a response to the disturbing realization of the effect of secularism upon our society. Yet we have a choice before us as a people, as individuals, and as a church, we have a choice before us of whether we are going to be a fortress church and a fortress people, inwardly focused with what we do, or whether we are going to be a frontier people who are outwardly focused. As background to thinking about this choice, let's see what Paul had to say in that generation right after Jesus. If you reflect upon the scripture you heard this morning in Romans, Paul was just all wound up about what Jesus was doing, about his life and ministry, about his death and resurrection, and what that was doing to people, but also to the whole creation. Paul wrote, the world is groaning, groaning as it is born anew to a new creation. Fundamentally, the world and people are changing due to Christ. A rebirth and a repurposing is going on that is more aligned to God's will. This is the effect, Paul says, of Jesus' redemptive work. And we participate in it. We participate in it as much as we give ourselves over to Christ Jesus and place our hope in what Christ is bringing forth. In Corinthians, Paul writes of it this way, Christ is making all things new. Creation, we people. Christ is making all things new. God is reconciling the world to God's self through Christ. 
So we are to see one another, we are to see all people in a new light because of what Christ has done. And we ourselves, Paul says to those early believers, preachers through the centuries have said to their congregation, and Rachel and I say to you today, we are given a new identity and a new purpose. We become ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador? Somebody that goes somewhere else representing something, right? We are to be ambassadors for Christ, Paul says, for the purpose of a ministry of reconciliation. We are to travel on behalf of Christ somewhere else, bringing forward a message of reconciliation to those people so they are drawn into oneness with God. This is what Paul is saying. And we biblically-based Christians look to Paul and say, well, maybe Paul is saying something to us, too. So for us, our journey of faith, well, the manifestation in our lives of the Spirit's work within us is modeled on the life and the ministry of Christ. Am I right? We are to draw closer and closer to God, being reconciled to God more and more through the ongoing work of the Spirit. We open ourselves up to this dynamic movement of the Spirit in our lives as individuals, breaking down whatever barriers get in the way of our participation with Christ in the Spirit, seeking from that spirit to become the more that God is asking us to be, praying that we would be different than we were when we were 20, than when we were 50, that God indeed is not done with us yet if we are still breathing. So we open ourselves to the frontier in our lives that God has for us and journey into that frontier with the Spirit. And our ministry, the, the product of our faith experience, well, is to be an extension of Christ into the community, a representation of Christ, an ambassador of Christ, to those who have not experienced him yet, or those who just don't get it. Seeking to help others come into this blessed relationship with God, this healthy and helpful relationship with God of a reconciled spirit with the God of the cosmos. Ambassadors to Christ, for Christ, is who we are to be. For the purpose of the ministry of reconciliation, of helping to get people to be reconciled with God. 
that's what we're supposed to be about as believers and as congregation. This is frontier work. You don't do this in a fortress. This is not the ministry of hunkering down and slamming shut. This is the ministry of opening up and going out. Carrying the good news to the frontier rather than guarding it in the fortress. <coughs> At a time when more and more people are disregarding, disregarding the presence and the power of God, and more and more congregations are retrenching into their fortresses with an us-against-them kind of mentality and inward serving, can we buck this trend? Can we do that? Can we buck this trend with a, a frontier mentality, with a focus that is serving God and neighbor outside the doors in the community? Yeah. Of course. Of course we can. You just have to decide that's what you're going to do. You just have to make the choice. Of course we can. If we want to. If we want to. And you know what? We've got a good start. I was reading this Nixon book again that, that Rachel and I are, are fond of. And he's got a little survey in it. And he says that uh, when you take that survey... Typically, mainline churches answer those questions, I think it's with a yes, uh, at least 50% or more. And he says, and that's a sign of how they've become a fortress kind of church, an inward-looking mentality kind of church. And so I took this on behalf of us, I think being pretty honest, not, not sugarcoating the situation, at least with my new eyes, as best as I could see us, and we only scored 25%. We're kind of frontier people already. All right. We are. We're not starting from a bad place when we're trying to gear ourselves up to be a little bit more of what we're thinking God is asking us to be at this time in this place. Rachel and I really love the, the pasta with the pastas. We had a... We had a great time, and we still like lasagna. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it again sometime. We'll see. But in there, the, the getting to know one another, we really enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. Um, it was fun, wasn't it? Yeah. But one of the things we did was ask you all what you thought your purpose was being here. What, what, what was the deal with the church? What was your mission? And... Um, Interestingly, in almost every one of those gatherings, somebody would say, it's on the wall above your head, Dilge. It's right there. <laughs> now, it's not in this room. I don't see it in this room. Um, but in almost every other room of the church, there's a little plaque that says the mission of the church. Who knows what it says? The mission of the church is what? Oh, I love you. St who said that? Stand up. Stand up. Stand up, you brave souls. Hugs. Hugs to you. Well done. 
The mission of the church is to make disciples of Christ for the transformation of the world. That is what our mission is. I like to say it just a little differently. I can't leave everything alone, you know. And so I like to change the word make into make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Christ. And the reason I do that is because I think it's more important, or it's more important that we just don't get somebody to say they love the Lord. We want them to say that, yes. We want that statement of faith to be transformative in a person's life, but we want that transformation. We want to help people move from that affirmation of faith into a life of discipleship, to mature in the spirit, to grow in the spirit. And then we want them to get outside, to go and be mobilized on behalf of Christ in service and in witness. Other things said by those gathered were reaching out to others with nurturing and caring. That's frontier thinking. Getting people close to God. Mission outreach to community. Spreading God's love without judgment. One insightful comment, I thought, came from a, a woman who said, our mission was to experience and share the faith in a way that balances the inner and the outer focus. I think that's, that's pretty good. That's, that's for us as individuals and for us collectively as a church. Individually, we encounter God through Christ in life altering ways that change us forever. We find ourselves with a, with a new bubbling sense of joy and of life, of purpose and of meaning. When we come alive to Christ, we come on fire and things just change. We become new people. We become born again. It's just a remarkable transformative thing in our lives but what I have seen is that then as life unfolds, as the years start to become accumulated, <laughs> we settle into grooves and ruts of patterns and mindsets. We kind of like a certain way of being and we challenge ourselves to grow spiritually a little less and a little less. We like the familiarity and the comfort, the safety of our, of our spiritual status quo. Let's work against this. Let's not have that be descriptive of us. Let us find ways to, to stretch and, and push ourselves with God's spirit into becoming the more that God would have us be rather than settling for what we've become so far. If you believe that the Lord is a living Lord and God is not dead, then God is not done with you yet. 
there's more in store. Let us open ourselves up to that frontier that God has for us and see how as individuals, God might actually nudge and push and lead us into becoming something that's even much more powerful and greater than how we've become so far as disciples of Christ. Let's not let the spiritual engines idle for ourselves. Organizationally, our congregation was all about reaching new people when this church got started. Some of you charter members, you guys need to bear witness to the rest of us who are newcomers at just how incredibly on fire this church. You don't go from zero to 800 with a lackadaisical faith, with an inner-focused organization. You're out there. You're out in the community talking about God, talking about what happens in this church, and that's how you burst off like you did. But our congregation, like so many congregations, well, as the years went by, we became a, a little more concerned about how things happened inside the doors, a little more attentive to the structure and the buildings. And we kind of lost that outward focus a little bit, had a little myopic perhaps with our mission. Let's just work against this, huh? Let's not have that characterization be our story. If that's what most institutions do when they get to be a half century old, let's be the footnote in the book that says, well, not Westlake. Uh-uh. Not us. Let's not be building up walls and retrenching. Let's be opening doors and going out and reaching out in service and in witness. If we truly recognize the call of Christ on our hearts and step into our calling as ambassadors of Christ with a ministry of reconciliation, we will make choices about how we do our faith and our church in such a way that we are out there in the frontier on behalf of Christ. This is my prayer. I know you share it with me. Let us make it true. Amen.